Today we're going to feature some of the chapters in my new book, 48 Laws of Spiritual Power that are not contained in the Taste Test Sampler, which you can download at 48laws.com. These are chapters that were not included in that PDF. And of course, if you go to 48laws.com, 48, the numbers, you do not want to spell those words out, 48laws.com, you will see all the different ways that you can order a copy of the book. If you read it, I love to hear what you think. God bless and enjoy these chapters. Law 5. Detest Celebritism. Fasten your seatbelt. This chapter is going to be bumpy. Longtime readers of my work know that one of the dead horses I've beaten over the years involves the celebrity culture in the Christian world. Jesus once made a sobering statement to the religious leaders of his day. In John chapter 5, verses 41 through 44, it says, I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not accept the glory that comes from the only God? A major obstacle to faith is the desire to receive glory from mere mortals instead of from the living God. Those who lead in spiritual things are especially vulnerable. In this regard, history repeats itself. In John chapter 12, verses 42 through 43, it says, Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. Perhaps the greatest way to shipwreck your faith is to embrace the celebrity culture that dominates the contemporary Christian world. This culture, which is a spiritual plague, encourages God's people to treat Christian leaders like royalty. The Saga of a Celebrity Preacher We've all read the stories. A young pastor burns the midnight oil trying to climb the ranks. Ambition drives him like a presidential candidate with a thyroid problem. Eventually, he's not so young anymore but he's still trendy and ultra-stylish. He's fulfilled his dream. He's made it to the top of the evangelical food chain. Coupled with his meteoric rise to fame, his church has grown so large that people queue up in long lines snaking around the building just to grab a seat. He gets chauffeured to the rear entrance of the church building before services and walks straight into a private elevator that takes him into the green room. The first few rows in the auditorium are reserved for VIP members and celebrities. Skinny jeans and some of the loudest shirts known to mankind make up his clerical uniform. They are accented by his obscenely high-priced sneakers. He strides to the pulpit accompanied by strobe lights. Stage smoke fills the pews. The audience is mesmerized, just as it would be at a rock concert, minus the cannabis. When he's finished his onstage performance, delivering his sermon, the pastor disappears, never interacting with a single soul in the congregation. He has bodyguards, sometimes referred to as armor-bearers. He also has a fan club, and his wife is called the First Lady. Starry-eyed fans gawk at his family from a distance. People would give an arm to take a selfie with him. Hardcore fans imitate his dress and even his accent. 
gag me with a rusty soup ladle. He's achieved stardom in a man-created hierarchy of style, slickness, flash, and coolness. He has his own brand and no longer feels content to live without the prefix mega. The celebrity pastor is both the salesman and the product. Then one day, the spiritual shallowness beating in his breast floats to the surface for all to see. His soaring career suddenly deflates as all the helium escapes and he implodes. But the show must go on, which is one of the two laws of show business. The other is to never let the audience see what you really are. So someone else takes his place. Regrettably, the path of this young pastor is not uncommon today. The kingdom of God has no shortage of preachers and teachers with Babylon seeping from their skinny jeans and eunuch t-shirts. All throughout scripture, Babylon represents the religious system, which is part of the world system. At its core, Babylon is mortal man trying to reach the heavens to make a name for himself and using bricks to do it. God creates stone. Humans make brick. The Marks of Celebritism The two outstanding marks of a celebrity are superficiality and inaccessibility. But God has no place for celebritism in his kingdom. If you have no interest in the depths of Christ, you're wide open to be captured by celebrity culture. It thrives on shallowness and is fueled by ego and ambition. Allow me to get practical. If no one has a way of reaching you, you've elevated yourself to celebrity status. Regardless of how popular you imagine yourself to be, you can always set up a website, a blog, or a Facebook page through which people can contact you. Granted, not every email or letter requires a reply, and if the load becomes too much, you can enlist the help of a virtual assistant or secretary to field common questions. Beyond that, you can create an FAQ page to cut down the volume. Yet there still needs to exist some avenue, even if only one, by which others can reach you personally, especially your peers. When some leaders read my railings against celebritism, they respond, But Frank, you don't know how much mail I'd get if I were accessible. That being interpreted means I'm too popular to be contacted. Hey, pinch yourself, dude. You're no Will Smith or Taylor Swift. I get tons of mail myself, so I know it can be managed. Take a few steps down from that ivory tower, would you? Your Lord remained accessible, even though his disciples didn't always get that. Stop bothering the master, they said, yet Jesus would have none of it. Are you more popular than your Lord? The Corinthian culture was preoccupied with image, status, power, and self-glorification. Paul resisted all these pitfalls, knowing that God's power is magnified and displayed through human weakness. See 2 Corinthians chapters 11 through 12. Francois Fenelon put the matter this way. It is not at all surprising that you have a sort of jealous ambition to advance in the spiritual life and to be intimate with persons of distinction who are pious. Such things are by nature very flattering to our self-love, and it eagerly seeks them. Our aim should be to die to the flattering delights of self-love by becoming humble and in love with obscurity and contempt, and to have a single eye to God. Here's my personal prayer on this score. Lord, in all that I am doing, in all that I've done, and in all that I will do, I seek to bring glory to you alone. 
I want others to take note of you, not of me. Cause them to be stunned by your awesomeness. Two Sobering Texts When I think of the peril of Christian celebritism in our time, two passages come to mind. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Paul and his co-workers not only shared the gospel with the churches they founded, they shared their very lives with them. If you have an international ministry, this is clearly impossible. But it's absolutely possible with some in your local fellowship, even in a large congregation. Then there's this passage, Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Could it be that the Lord feels equally indignant when contemporary ministers have handlers who keep the poor, miserable layman away from them? <clears throat> Follow instead the steps of John the Baptist and develop an aversion to celebritism. In John chapter 3, verse 30, English Standard Version, it says, He must increase, but I must decrease. It's no accident that the psalmist turns the glory away from himself twice in this wonderful refrain. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because of your love and faithfulness. Psalm 115, verse 1. Still more sobering. I wonder how many Christian celebrity leaders are truly chosen by God. T. Austin Sparks writes, Another general thing about leaders chosen by God is that they, while being human, are in many respects in a class by themselves. They are pioneers, and pioneers are lonely people in more respects than one. In some ways, they are difficult people. Their standard and measure has to be ahead of others. And as human nature generally likes not to be disturbed, but would seek the easy way, the pioneer is often a bit too much for people. He is restless, never satisfied, always pressing and urging forward. The keynote of his life is, let us go on. He is not the easy way. And because human nature does not want the easy way, the leader is not always popular. The whole nature of man is either downward or to a quiet and happy mean and smugness. The pioneer is therefore not always appreciated, but often very much otherwise. He is so much contrary to this mediocre gravitation. A part of the price of leadership is loneliness. The aforementioned thoughts are good medicine for anyone poisoned by the disease of Christian celebritism, so detest it at all costs. Law 6 Avoid burnout. Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, spoke these valuable words to Moses in Exodus chapter 18, verses 17 through 18. What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. One of the greatest temptations for a spiritual leader is to be so consumed with God's work that you burn to a cinder. In my early years of doing the Lord's work, I was a weekend warrior. I worked five days a week in the public sector, only to hop on a plane Friday, preach in another state for a weekend, 
fly back Sunday evening, and return to work Monday morning. It was a powerful recipe for burnout. Eventually, I discovered that the Lord built Sabbath, rest, into his creation for a reason. Jesus, who did more ministry than most humans, regularly retreated to decompress and recharge. According to the Gospels, Jesus' retreats took on three different environments, or landscapes, of the sacred. First, he retreated near water. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. See Mark chapter 3, verse 7. Second, he retreated to a mountain. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. See Mark chapter 6, verse 46, New King James Version. Third, he retreated to a desert. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. See Luke chapter 5, verse 16, New Living Translation. The God of the universe built these three spaces into his creation to allow humans to restore, recharge, and renew themselves physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. But the trick is to intentionally find time to retreat. On this score, T. Austin Sparks rightly said, God is more concerned with what is done in us than what we do for him. He often reaches his end with us much better when we are in a state of inactivity than in times of much work. The Intention to Retreat Since understanding this law, I've built regular times of retreat into my yearly schedule. Since I live in Florida, most of my retreats happen near water. Though Paul said that bodily exercise profits little, it does profit. One of the ways physical exercise profits us is by increasing our energy, and energy is one of the major ingredients to our productivity. Without productivity, your ministry will suffer loss. Here's a quick recipe for how to increase your energy. 1. Stay away from foods high on the glycemic index. 2. Avoid energy-depleting people. 3. Take vitamin B supplements. 4. Drink a lot of water each day, at least 60 ounces. 5. Practice deep breathing. 6. Listen to music that you find energizing. 7. Get sufficient sunlight. If you live in the North, consider SAD lights. 8. Take breaks throughout the day. 9. Find out what inspires you and regularly expose yourself to those things. 10. Build into your yearly schedule retreats, either near water, mountains, or deserts, or all of them. It's vital that you periodically pump the brakes on your ministry and reset your spiritual CPU, rebooting it back to Jesus Christ. Someone once said, a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. Though this may be true for candles, it's not true for ministry. A better analogy for ministry is expending the battery life in your smartphone. The battery must be recharged for the phone to function. This is why Jesus often slipped away from the crowds to a desert, water, or a mountain in order to recharge. He reset himself in his Father's presence. You can't burn the candle on both ends without eventually losing your health. Epaphroditus almost died because he never took a vacation from ministry. See Philippians chapter 2 verses 25 through 30. And he's not the only such man in history. When you grow tired, you stop giving as much. You don't love as much. You don't listen as well. And you stop paying attention. So practice what every airline passenger is told before the plane leaves the runway. Put on your oxygen mask first. 
At first glance, this may appear selfish, but it's actually wise and loving. How can you help anyone else if you've stopped breathing? The same is true in ministry. Consequently, when the embers get low and you're running on fumes, stop running. Spiritual redlining isn't an option. Stop. Rest. Recoup. Refuel. Reset. You endanger everyone around you when you deplete your spiritual reserves without replenishing them. Consider the following passage and take it as a personal invitation. In Mark chapter 6, verses 31 through 32, it says, Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Never set yourself on fire to keep others warm. Give yourself an off-ramp from time to time. Set your intention to withdraw to a solitary place regularly to recharge and reboot. In Romans chapter 12, verses 11 through 12, the message, it says, Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the Master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Someone once said, You can't burn out if you're not on fire. Another said, Don't rust out, burn out. Neil Young said, and Kurt Cobain sadly repeated, It's better to burn out than fade away. But all of these are false choices. By employing the prescriptions in this book, you can avoid rust out, burn out, and fade out.